Did you ever wonder how you can get your children to do what you want them to do? In this session four, Developing Self-Control in Our Children, we will begin to explain exactly how to do that. Principles and Practices of Biblical Parenting. This is produced by Biblical Foundations for Freedom, www.foundationsforfreedom.net. Releasing God's truth to a new generation. Principles and Practices of Biblical Parenting. We're developing self-control in our children. It's a very challenging uh, subject, and some say that's impossible. Uh, but we'll talk about that tonight. In fact, uh, the beginning part of it. This is uh, session four. As we begin, can we open with a word of prayer? Lord, we want to thank you so much for giving us this evening that we can be together. We pray that you might teach us, Lord, about the value of self-control, how it fits into parenting, Lord, how we can help our children, Lord, to be the best uh, for all the gifts and purpose that you have for their lives. We know that we're responsible. We ask that you would help us now at this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, I don't know how many people here were able to spend some time together as couples. Okay, two. All right, we're going for two. <laughs> we got a couple. It's still seven times. Wow, that, <laughs> that's wonderful. You watch top? No, well, let's see. How about if you shut it off during commercials and you talk about what you're seeing? <laughs> but we, what we want during that together time is actually the couples are talking. We have to take a step further there and plug in. So I encourage you because there's a really big impact on your oneness upon the parenting. Now, right now, I want to quickly summarize uh, what we've been doing. Let's just look at those four things that we've been learning. First of all, first lesson was where. It was all about the parents' goals. What kind of children are we actually raising? Some people never ask that. They have subtle expectations but never clearly think what they want. And second of all, they never think what? What God wants. They're just thinking what they want. So it's actually the direction of the family. When you get a hold of that, it's like, wow, now I know where God wants us to go. Second of all, that was the where. Second of all was what? The parent's example. In other words, we're trying to show the way. How do you actually train the children? We would talk about both the what you hear as well as what they see. And what they see and hear just by hearing the parents converse and uh, things around the home, they actually probably learn much more than ever in the talking. So we display what's to be done when there's a parent's authority. So what we're asking here is, when does it happen? How, how do you make it happen? How do you get the children to that point? And the point is that basically this. The parents determine what they want, and then they direct the children to conform. This is where I call you get the energy. Because you will get worn out if the parent doesn't exercise his authority and the children exercise the authority. I know that some people say, well, let's, we try to do an equal vote and things. It doesn't really work that way. And we'll see why it doesn't work that way. So the parents need to decide, well, now's the time for us to begin to exercise our authority uh, and be able to carry out what we want in the home so it is accomplished. Now, we haven't given many tools here. That is more in the terms of the realm of thinking, perspective, worldview. You know, it's like, oh, yeah, that's right. We're the parents. 
we get to say what's going on here. You know? uh, usually when you're young, what do you do? Usually you're saying, I, I want to get done what I want done. And, and when I grow up, I'm going to do it different. But sometimes when we get older, then we don't even still do it. But actually, this is the time to catch a vision of what God wants for our life. I, I think you'll find, as you're consistent, that down the line, you'll actually get energy and encouragement. Fourthly is the how, the how. And, and it's the question that we're going to be focusing on this next section. Is It's because we're thinking, well, how do you do that? Okay, I have authority. I tell my child to sleep. He doesn't sleep. Well, how do you make a child sleep? How do you, you tell them to eat? You tell them to go. You tell them to come. Well, how do you do that? Well, again, uh, we're going to begin to answer this. And as we go along, we'll get more and more concrete in actually how to do that. But this is where you actually decide and you actually begin to implement plans to actually bring it into being. So this is what we're talking about today. Now, and, and when we're talking about self-control, largely parenting has to do with that self-control. The purpose of the lesson is to cause parents to cultivate self-control in their children from an early age so that they may live good lives, pleasing to God and helpful to others. And we've been reminded this week, well, it doesn't always work. You know, you start early and still maybe when the children are older sometimes, they still fussing and things. Well, there's different elements. One is you need consistency, continue to do what you've been doing, because at any point when you stop, the children, it's like the water. You get a little hole in the dam, it's, the water might be held back for a long time, but once you get a little hole in there, shoom, the water's going to start coming out. And, and, and that's the way that it happens. We just have to continue to keep our role up. Now, three things we're going to talk about tonight. One is the important role of self-control. I can't do without it. I really want us to believe our children need self-control. Think of what a spoiled child is. That's the opposite. Whatever they want, they, they want it. And so you think, well, that's not what God wants. So we say, yeah, we need, the need self-control in our children. The development of self-control, how does it actually develop within a child? And when you begin to see how it works together, then you can begin to say, oh, I can do that. Uh, thirdly, the cultivating of self-control in our child. And just be able to give them the vision, actually, how to do that. Take those principles, apply them in their lives, and to work that through. Well, we have a lot to talk about tonight. Hopefully you have some questions, too, and that we'll be able, to, uh, be able to learn these things together. You know, the first thing is a godly definition of self-control. I, I call it this. Self-control is the ability to govern our thoughts, hands, mouth, eyes, ears, feet, desires, so that we refrain from selfish activities and choose instead to do what is right and good. We're doing two things, two elements. First of all, we're controlling all the parts of our lives, our speech, our eyes, as well as trying to hold back our selfish activities and thoughts and choosing and doing what is good and right. So it's that holding back and choosing to do good. Not just the holding back, but participating in what's right and good. Now this is a very challenging topic. We do not know the importance of self-control. It's just absolutely something we, you know, we don't really understand the importance of it. We can get along without it, we think. Uh, we might think we could be better uh, kids growing up if we didn't have self-control, uh, if we didn't have our parents controlling us. Uh, number two, we as parents lack self-control and wonder how a child could obtain it. 
Now, if we don't self-control, surely we don't think our children will ever be able to get it. Thirdly, we're ignorant as to how self-control is learned. And so it's actually something way beyond our sphere. There's no way that we could actually carry it out. We would say, yes, it'd be great, but I don't know how to do it. And so it's kind of that ignorant aspect. Uh, and we do not want self-control. I mean, that's another aspect, why we would say it's challenging. I, for example, might enjoy excess in a certain part of my life. I don't want self-control. And the children are looking on and saying, yep, yeah, I'm going to be just like dad, just like mom. You know. But we have to start humbling ourselves and realize, wow, you know, God really does want us to exercise self-control in every area of our life. We can't be a godly man or woman without that self-control. So these are challenging topics. Sometimes they get to our lives, right? As a parent, as a model, as a person. Before we can really pass on values, we need to value them. Let's look a little bit what the scriptures teach about self-control. You might be surprised how much the Bible talks about it. Can you read that with me? Slack in his work is brother to him who destroys. Now, what we're going to do is point out five different Proverbs and speak how this verse talks about self-control. So this person, the Proverbs is talking about, does not control what? His, his what? His time. Yeah, right on. So this person doesn't control his time. He's slack, not being accountable, right? He lets his desires control him. Okay, the second one. Together, please. A fool's mouth is his ruin, and his lips are the snare of his soul. He doesn't control his tongue. That's right. Number three. For the heavy drinker and the glutton will come to poverty. Yeah, it's probably more like that. His, his appetites, right? He wants to eat something. I, I know what you mean by mouth, because that's where the appetites are, are filled. So, I mean, you're right there. Okay, number four, together. A fool gives vent, full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. Okay, temper, that's right. Anger, his spirit. Okay, we have one more. Do not desire, her, together, do not desire her beauty in your heart. For on account of a harlot, one is reduced to a loaf of bread. Does not control his desires, yeah. Okay, do you see how Proverbs is talking about self-control? There's things that are not being controlled here, and so they overcome. As I was reading Second Peter, I believe, chapter 2 or 3, it says, what one is overcome, he is controlled by. In other words, he no longer has rule over his life when these desires, uh, the English word also is lust sometimes, begins to control you. And sometimes we do well in some areas, but in some areas of our life we don't. And those, what I encourage you to actually come in and, and take hold and be able to uh, join in and, and see how God will help you to grow in those areas so you can help your uh, children. So I don't know what you think about when you have self-control. Maybe you're not thinking in these categories with children, right? Do you see the value? Okay, this is what I'm trying to show right now. The value of self-control. Okay, so, for example, we have one child that kind of, one of his problems is he likes to sleep, you know, not do things. So what is our task as parents? 
What's our task, Linda? Having learned to control his focus to laziness. Yeah, he, he's got that focus on laziness. So we've got to change his habits, his lifestyle in such a way that he actually accomplishes what God wants. Later on, we hope as he grows older, he says, well, I can do those things. And God willing, he'll begin to let God begin motivate him so that he will actually start doing what he needs to do. Right? How about things like anger? That's a popular one, right? A child, two years old, banging his head against the wall. <laughs> you know why, right? He wants something and his mommy said no. So he's banging his head against the wall. Against the wall. Okay, so we see the development of what? A lack of control of that, that spirit. I guess anger is not prominent, right? But his spirit, his, his emotions. And it, and it goes in, swells right into anger like a big wave. So what do we find here? How, how are you going to do that? Of course, we have children that volunteer in our family. We have so many children. We probably have one for every area of need, right? Um, <laughs> And that's, that's actually what happens. It's usually one child has one or two main areas that a parent needs to take hold of and develop a, a sort of lifestyle so that a training that the child can grow in those areas. No parent is proud to say, my child smashes his head against the wall. Or at the schoolyard, he bites other children. Yes, yes. Some people come to pastors with all sorts of questions. These are the problems of reality. This is actually what the little cute one right now, or you hope to be cute, which will be, but later on, hmm. You see, you see what I'm saying? The importance of it is it's really immense because if it's not controlled, then it just controls you and it just destroys your relationship because every day, why are you getting up late again? You're again, you're just going to be late. You know, what are you doing to my schedule, your schedule, the, the teacher's mad at you, whatever, you know. Uh, are you not doing your homework again? You're so slothful. What's going on? You, know, you don't want those kind of relationships to develop. No, instead you train them early on to be able to control their time. Now, you might think that it will be solved. Usually I don't think so. You know, again, I pointed out that you know, if you cut a weed, it's still going to grow. Yeah, it's still going to grow. So it's almost like we've got to keep that control on. Be consistent is the key word here. Be consistent. But he doesn't like it. This is the problem we face, right? So it's one thing we could tell a child, don't smash your head against the wall. Just obey daddy. It, it doesn't work, right? He doesn't like it. He doesn't like it. So we find that they're crying, they're whining, they're rude, they hit, they shout. Trying to help us to think, what would I do if my child's like this? Rude or whining or crying? Hitting people, yeah, they even hit. Discipline, yep, we need to understand more what that means, how to do that. But do we parent according to the child's desires or according to what is right? Now, this is the key question because in the end, you as a parent have feelings. You, know, you talk about some aspects of discipline. A parent says, oh, I don't want to do that. But you have to think about, well, what's your goal? What are you trying to accomplish? Now, you're, if your child grows up perfect, you will never need to discipline. It would be wonderful. If you do, just send your child over. That would be great. And, <laughs> but children aren't that way. I mean, at least the Bucknell family aren't with our eight children. They're not that way. But how do we do it? How do we do it? It's a big test. 
But I think part of it's getting down to that resolve. I don't want my children just go unchallenged. If my child whines now, say he's a son, he grows older, what kind of husband is he going to be? Ooh, I'd hate to be his wife. If he's rude, maybe it's a young girl and she's learning to be rude in her conversation. You, know, you just don't want to be near those people. It's not, in fact, when we come back to thinking about our goals and what God wants, we have to do something. Unfortunately, God does instruct us what to do. Well, but what about those strong-willed children? You all heard about strong-willed children? It became popular about 10 years ago when a psychologist started talking about Christian psychologists. And actually, it's probably 20 years ago now. But since he mentioned that, everyone says, I have a strong-willed child. And everybody says, How's it? well, we got a strong-willed child because he doesn't obey. You have to understand there's a difference. Every child will be strong-willed to accomplish their own purpose. Very few, there are some, that are less, that you probably wouldn't call them strong-willed. But they still have their will. And you might be surprised how strong their will can be. Don't be afraid of it, okay, first of all. I, and I kind of disagree with some things that were said by that uh, psychologist. But I want us to think about it in, in this perspective. First of all, in a, in, in a good way, that strong will will help them to accomplish good things in the future. Someone's going through medical school here, you're, you know, you're that boss, you know, but you, to be able to get through parts of life, you need a strong will. It's not a bad word. It's not a bad word at all. To be brave, to be sacrificial, to be able to give up what needs to be given up, to, to do those tasks. We need people like that to lead us forth. But if it's not rightly governed, what do we find? That strong will will come out in exercising, trying to get things for oneself. And that's where it becomes scary. Stubborn, selfish, willful, and rash. You understand the tension here? So don't be afraid of the strong will. Persistent in doing good. That's the vision. And as a child grows older, give them that vision. Wow. Once you want something, you really know how to try to get that. Try to push it the positive way. Give them a vision of, wow, you know, God's going to give you some things to do in life, and I know you're going to be able to accomplish them. You see what I'm saying by giving them that vision? Of course, when the child's six months old, that's not what I'm talking about. But as a child begins to get, you know, three, five, seven, increasingly so, you need to pass a positive vision, how God can use their skills, their tempers, their spirits to accomplish what God wants. We want to positively steer them where God wants them to go. And uh, give them that hope. Oh, yeah, I am that way. I can do this for God. And that becomes exciting. Of course, on the other side, if we don't, it's, it's mostly a focus that they'll use that will to accomplish what they want. And that produces so much tension in the family, right? So much tension. The longer you go before you begin to shape your child, the more difficult it will be to implement it. The more difficult it will be to implement it. And this is why I'm talking about importance of self-control. This is why I'm trying to get at some of your own perspectives, maybe when you were growing up, your, your feelings and things, because it comes down to say, yeah, that's right. This is what's right. This is what we need to do. And I want to show a little bit more 
how this is, is, is operating in the world. I began to talk a little bit about that in, from one perspective. I want to do that from another perspective here. I want us to think real practically the difference between a demanding child and a contented child. The demanding child is one that I'll call, and I know these are extremes, okay, that's fine. I'm doing it so you can understand. A demanding child is one where they want something and they claim to get it. They'll put their energies out to gain that, okay? That's demanding. Contented is where they hear something and they do it. By that, I do not mean they're contented, meaning that they don't have any will. They are exercising their will to accomplish what God wants. There's a big difference. For example, if I ask you about Jesus, put him on demanding or contented? Contented. Contented to do God the Father's will. Now, he wrestled with it, yes. The night before he was betrayed, wow, he wrestled hard. But he found in the end, if that was really what the Father wanted, then he said, that's what I'll do. But notice the will there. The will to say, yes, once it's there, it goes on. The will in the contented person is found often that struggle is inside, struggling with his mind, his purpose of life. The demanding is more found on the outward because they've never even cultivated that inner life. They only want things, and it's more on the outside and more distracted by the world. Let me go and, and share these three ways. First of all, the child's attitude toward the self is how they think about themselves. Okay, now we're going on the demanding child here. For example, he gets what he wants. That's how he thinks about it. I want that. Okay, so that's demanding. You can hear that sense of demand in their voice. He gets what he wants, and he'll fuss until he gets it. On the other side, the contented, he respects the needs of others. So he's able to sit back and say, no, not now. We need to save something for your sister who's coming home later. Okay, so you can leave a portion there, something that he wants, but he says, oh, that's right. Sister's coming home later. That's okay. All right? That's well, just something simple, but they respect the needs of others. This is that when you actually work these out, you'll see that this is how loving one another practically works out. Okay, now let's think about the child's attitude toward authority. We did talk a little bit about that before. But the demanding child, he doesn't listen to his authorities. Now, we had a little homework last week. I don't know, was anyone able to do that, reflect on it a little bit? You know, it's trying to think, what were your authorities like? How did you respond to them when you were growing up? But did you notice the tension? You know, when you're growing up, right? I, I do. I do. I remember sneaking out of the door and going to do something without my, my mom knowing. Yeah. See, that's despising my mom's authority, going on my own way. I remember stealing money so I could buy something my mom would never want me to buy. You see? Don't listen to authority. You find ways to sneak around. Now, my mom, still to today, thinks, oh, such a good boy. She doesn't know, you know, how terrible I was. Honestly, you know, she, she just, I don't know why she thinks I was a good boy. But, she, you know, I was clever maybe, huh? But, you know, the clever, God catches up with you. I remember I had to go to the dentist later because I was sneaking candy. And, uh, whoa, it was terrible. I had a couple years of endless cavities and a uh, root canal. The dentist somehow couldn't tame the pain. And I was suffering in that chair more than anything. God was training me. 
Yeah. But I wish, you know, in one sense, my mom would have caught me and I wouldn't have ate that candy and my teeth would have been better, you see? Yeah. But, of course, children don't think that way, do they? But the contented child, they respect. He respects authority. And so he knows what his parent wants and he observes. Now, I'm not saying that we will perfectly or our children will perfectly carry out this one or the other. But I am pointing it to extremes to help us understand where we're really trying to direct our children. What kind of children we want? What kind of children God wants us to raise? Because it makes a big difference. A child's attitude toward the world. The world revolves around himself. Oh, that's a demanding child. And so when he grows up and sees the world as a big place, he's going to be doing the same thing when he was little. Before, it was just toward his parents, maybe toward his playmates. He was a bully, maybe. Now, as he gets older, the world's going to get what I want. Now, we hear about these people, you know, using other people's pension funds and, you know, doing all these sneaky things and stock trades. And, you know, when people get older, they think, I ought to get these things. It's the same thing. And when they're looking for avenues by which to be, be corrupt, basically, never really tame, not content with what God's given them. And so they're looking for opportunities. Every child will grow up. But for the contented, the world's a place of exploration. And to me, this is a, a very special thing. And I don't think people understand it enough. What are we talking about? We're talking about a place where a child will be able to be content be able to reflect, be able to play and enjoy the few things that they have. Maybe be able to be more inventive because they only have a few things. And probably everyone that grew up in a poor generation knows how you can make a toy out of anything. You can make a whole playground out of dirt piles. One of the games we had when I was growing up, we had five children, very poor family. But we would just take a bunch of pillows or something and something underneath. We would take a blanket and drop it on top. Each of us would have a marble and that we would throw the die or something. And so you would be able to go so many spaces. So you had to go up this mountain, find a space, you know, each time, take a step, step, step. But if you grew, landed on an unsmooth spot, then you'd come back down. But you know, no money, right? But just a simple game. But children just invents all sorts of things. I never heard that game before or afterwards, but uh, I played it a lot with my brother. Um, yeah, yeah, well, it's like that, but I, I, we didn't have that game, so. <laughs> I have a question regarding authority. I'm sure. To discussion, but, good, good. Um, in terms of, like, the difference between not listening to authority and respecting authority, if a child were to, say, question the parent, um, does that count as not respecting authority if the child, like, feels like, because um, I was reflecting, mm -hmm. and um, um, Daniel says that's me not respecting authority when I was growing up, but um, it's more like, I treated authority like, I think they should have a fair say, but I think they might be wrong, <laughs> and then I would, and then like, I wouldn't necessarily like disobey immediately, but I would want to, I would want to know why, and then, and then, um, well, yeah, I would have to understand the reason um, before like I really listen, like, is that... Is that a boundary? Like, I would, I think, um, nine, ten. Yeah, that's about the right, that's about the time that, that children realize that parents aren't perfect. 
they want to know. But before that, what's done before that, I would say the child is probably don't want to do what they're told and just looking for an excuse. About that 9, 10, 11 in there, they start to say, ooh, I know some mom and dad aren't exactly consistent. And so they, that's the one they really need to know why you want to do stuff. So yeah, it's probably what you do is what is natural for your age. So when you say that you question your parents, now in English we have two ways of doing that, right? We have a question where we are not willing to follow them. Yeah, it, it's a challenge. There's a question where you honestly want to know why is this? There is a big difference. Because the one, if you get an answer, but, and you come back, but, that mostly is that type of one where you are actually pursuing your own will and not willing to obey authority in the end. And you can just, you can pretty much see the attitude behind it in that. That the question where you just want to know, that, that's, that's more rare <laughs> because this other self, you know, it, it is there. And the child, as he grows older, has to learn how to control that self and say, no, no, that's okay, just obey. We, we have to train them to do that. Do you understand the two aspects of that kind of questioning? One is questioning just for information. Oh, yeah, I'll obey, but I just want to know. But the other one is questioning, so really you're trying to confound them and get your own way. I guess like, sorry, I don't have to tell that to voice the child asks a question. How come? Why? <laughs> you know, they're not really asking for information. If you need to take that one step further, and let, let's say like, you know, you provided a good reason, but the child, for whatever reason, you know, like maybe they have, they were right, but maybe it's a bad reason, you know, because like, you're not perfect. Like, they just, you know, and then they, they judged it to be a bad reason, so they don't, on that ground, they don't listen. Is that then crossing a line, or that's then, I think that's crossing a line. Children, Father God tells us, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. If you don't do that, even if the reason is bad, we to, that's a place where we need to learn that child is learning to trust God to help them, even through the parents' mistake. Now it's it's hard to maybe a young child would understand that, but you know, that's taking your that's taking your opinion and put it above your parents. This is oh, they don't know what they're doing. I'm going to make this decision. That's not obedience. So, so you're getting down to they're self-motivated, right? Yeah, There's a little difference between self-control, the way I've been using it here. Yeah. Uh, in the developing training stages, self-control is where they're actually learning to, okay, they're being shaped. I'm going to talk about this in a moment. Shaped by the outward, and they do it. What you're talking about is you want them to be able to, inside, be able to reckon what they need to do and do it. I'm going to talk about that a little bit, and maybe that will, but as we're, most of our children are smaller here, that's a later on problem. Children early on should just learn to obey yes and no, and just do it. Early on, we don't have to explain to young children why we tell them to do things. As they grow older, we should begin to start inputting the biblical basis for why they need to do things. As they get older, that becomes their motivation for why they need to do that, not just because daddy and mummy said that. We have a number of ideas that we, I think we've kind of pulled together. And sometimes, by the way, it's not because you have money, it's just because you have friends. Here, all of a sudden, you have a baby, you have 50 toys, yes. You'd even volunteer for them. And you say, where am I gonna put them all? 
And how my child, you know, he doesn't want to play with them. Look at them, they're all over the place. And it becomes a disaster. And, and also by, because we have a number of children, you know, then, okay, multiply toys by eight. <laughs> oh, you're, you're leaving family, you're getting older. Could you take your toys with you? You know, <laughs> yes, that's great. You know, we have one extra shelf. It is, a, it is a tough issue, actually, to understand and to handle. I, I don't think because our parents want to give, especially if they grew up poor and they maybe have a little more, they won't really want to show their love. So there's that, that's that, there's a tension there, even beyond what, how it's going to impact a child. And, and so we have to think about those. And by the way, as, this is just a toy issue, but as children go older, you, you have electronics, cell phones, television, media, keys, car, all those things. Your bank account check, oh, let me use your credit card. You have all those things. And, and so that same question leads to a whole host of questions. Just general principles, probably the less the better, and controlled. So even if they have 10 toys, just let them play with one or two at a time. After they play with one or two, as they get older, let them learn how to put it away. Some people, you have a box for September, a box for October, a, you know, or a quarter box, you know, a season box. So, you know, there's different ways, but don't let them always be exposed to all those things because they'll, first of all, just reject it as materialism. And they won't enjoy those things. A few toys, as you say, are, are just fine. And if you just fill too many toys for with a playpen, the child just is disinterested. It's too confusing. Anything to add? I think one other thing we try to concentrate on as a child is always to buy things or ask for friends for things that they could actually use their imagination with, like Legos, Connects, uh, uh, things that they have to manipulate. You know, those kind of things help stimulate that imagination. We try to ask for things for those kind of things. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, we just say no to some things. Like no clothes with Disney characters on it. We don't support the Disney company. <laughs> that's personal. Yeah, it's personal, not biblical. But, you know, <laughs> that's okay. You, you have to discern that. We have our own, you know, thoughts. You have your own thoughts. You might like Disney and... and you know, support the company. You might have stock in it, all I know. But, I mean, the, but the, the, the point is, we have to think about it. And, and so when we say, for example, we limit our children half-hour computer a day, six days a week, no computer on Sunday. So when it comes to Sunday, they're not asking whether they can play the computer. That's the way we want it. Okay, that's, you see what I'm saying? We, that's the way we want it. Sunday, just sit back, relax more. Play with people, talk to people. Not, not be so inward you know so we just cut it off and because we started early it's easy for them to endure but if they're 15 they've already been playing half the day in computer and all of a sudden you come up it looks like you got some red horns when you say no computer you know well you don't really want that so to think early and think about the implications of your decisions is so important is so important talk to a parent you have talked to several parents that have older children and, and try to get more of that feeling. Okay, so let's, let's go back to the self-control issue here. I, our argument's going a little bit beyond that. But let's think that what's going to happen to that child? Part of self-control works like this, that they don't, early on, they don't know there's other options. 
Now you say, well, that's not self-control. That's just being controlled. Yeah. Yes, yes. But this is what they're learning. They're learning to live. They can have a happy life without it. Now, most kids, you take computer away, the telephone away, my life is falling apart. You know, it, it's so boring. You know, and they just crumble because they don't know anything else. We're teaching these things. We're teaching them that they have confidence toward things. So if I get back to your question a little bit more, when we go there and they're exposed to things that we otherwise are, they're not otherwise exposed to, they are seeing that there's other things, other ways of living. We might want that, we might not want that. And so there's some, maybe talking to our parents about our values, why it's important. Maybe shorting the time that they're away. The longer it is, the more they will think, this is life from now on. And you're asking for big trouble when you do that. Uh, as a child grows older, that becomes worse. As a child's younger, you're able to kick them back into the routine that you had quicker. But not without some crying and fussing. You just have to realize there's going to be like a week away, a week of struggle. As they get older, you can begin to reason, you know, at your grandparents, I'm going to allow this. When we come back, this is what we're going to do. They might not like that too much. But can they handle it? Well, maybe they don't go to grandparents. Grandparents come here. You know, work out in between where you're with them at your grandparents and have more control. Bigger discussion, not enough time. <laughs> okay. Do they apply to us? Uh, usually when we're talking about computers, we're not talking about school research. We're talking about... Or Facebook. We have Facebook. I think there's a dimension of social networking we allow on, on Sunday. I, I think we allow that. But, you know, it's mostly the, the games that they get intense on and, and things. And actually, we don't buy a lot of those games out there, you know, on purpose, on purpose. Very few games we allow in our house, you know, but it, are they ready for it? No, I'm not ready for it, so I won't let them be ready for it. And I, it's just too much. At one point, they will have to face those decisions. But hopefully, at this point, we're trying to build that contentment, that world of exploration, with a little they have and to enjoy it. And they might make different decisions when they grow older, but we're training them to be able to be content with a letter less that they have rather than the more. And I would just steer that way. Let me go on. Okay, um, the garden of self-control. Let me explain this. Here we, here we have a garden. And a garden in the old sense is protected by a wall. And it's a safe place for children to play. Right? All the enemies, the world is out there. And they can just have fun. They can, they can be contented. They can play together. Uh, things can be nice there. It's beautiful. Now, the walls here, I'm going to give a picture here, are of the parents' commands, the parents' instructions, both positive and negative. Time, as the children get older, the time you have to be in the house, how long you can talk on the computer, how long uh, talk on the phone, how long you can do this or that. Um, all these rules, when they're younger, you know, what you eat, what you can play, where you can play, what you wear, what you can say, yeah, we control all those things, you know. It might sound like we're very, but to us, we are making a safe haven for our children. And we like that because this is where they're most protected from foul mouths, 
you know, speaking wrong words, evil words, from rude actions, from wanting too many things, being overwhelmed by uh, things that we were just talking about. Now, of course, because sin is still in them, like, you know, Garden of Eden, you know, Adam and Eve, they brought sin in when they sinned. But, you know, there's sin in that garden. So we're not, it's not a perfect place. Our children are there, right? But, or I'm there, you know, it's not perfect. But it's protected. In our, in our commands, if you look at Proverbs 1 to 3, you'll see that it's a, it, the parents' commands and instructions are valuable because they give the best protection for that child. Now, what's happened in this world is that they think, the world thinks that freedom to do whatever they want is the best. And so they would take down those walls and let the child learn by investigation and exploration on their own without those commands because they think, such psychology, you all studied them, right? That whatever the parents or society has brought down to the children, constrain them, restrict them, and destroy the children. And this is what the philosophers of modernism talk about. So how do, you, how do you handle Rousseau and other philosophers? How much of that philosophy has entered you? You, know, you? you have to think about it because this is where the battle is. Do you really value your instructions to your children and see them as something that protects them, valuable, positive? Not trying to hold them back and just as a, a king imposing your will on another. No, that's not what we're talking about. The biblical perspective is that these commands and instructions are good. The same thing with God. You know, when we look at his commands, oh, well, God's the Ten Commandments. That keeps me from, you know, you know, doing what I really want. No, 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 no. God gave us those commandments to give us the best life possible. Even in Ephesians 6, he's given us these commands. Why? Children, honor your parents for, this is right, for this is the first command with a promise that you shall have a long life. Best life possible. If you can just live within those commands. As long as the child stays there under the commands of the parents, then he's safe. He's secure. Uh, of course, he still needs to be saved. I understand that. I'll, I'll talk about that in another lesson, okay? I'm, I'm not trying to bring this too, too idealistic. Still a stinner. Even our children need to be saved, okay? That, that's definite. But in terms of obedience and protection of there, once a child is able to disobey, they're stepping out from the parameters, that framework that the parents would give them that they think is best into an area that's dangerous, into an area that the parents already observe that this is not good. Now, some parents will just allow the child to live in disobedience. Is that good? But that happens everywhere you go. Now, it happens why? Sometimes the parent doesn't know how to get them to obey. Sometimes the parent thinks that's better that they do explore on their own, even if it goes against my best thinking. So you, this, this is humanism, by the way, okay? If you don't see it, this, I'm, I'm trying to paint a picture of it. So when you're reading those magazines and books, that doctor, he's talking to you, that's humanism. Notice it, directly opposed to God who rules. It's, it's dangerous. Really value what you think about. Now, it doesn't mean, our, as you were talking earlier, it doesn't mean the parent is perfect, right? That's true. So how should the parent parent? If, if, if we could make mistakes, maybe we give them too many or too little toys, right? Well, that's not a big issue. But, you know, sometimes we want them to sleep 
Well, what time should I make them go to sleep? They want to go to sleep same time as me? Well, is that what I want as a parent? No. Well, some do, or, you know, you, you see what I'm saying? You're, you're coming up to, and the parent starts wondering, hmm, am I right? Maybe my child's right. I want you to understand this is a tension that comes up as children, if you allow them to begin to voice and question your opinions, you'll start being undermined by them. Because there is that sense of compassion, you want the best for them, and maybe they're not all that wrong. What's the difference between going to bed at 9 or 9.30? Oh, not a big thing, right? When I was growing up, I had to go to bed at 7.30. The next year, I could go to bed at 8 o'clock. Wow, I could watch. But that was terrible because there was an hour TV program like Disney or something, you know, that went from 7.30 to 8.30. And I only could watch half of it. Oh, it was terrible. But it's giving me a lot of self-control. Probably too much. Because sometimes I can go in the middle of my movie, maybe my children are watching, and I say, all right, time to turn it off. But you see, I'm still in my mind, I'm going back. There's limits. The limits are good. Okay, let's, let's just carry them out. In that sense, we have more confidence as a parent on how we carry out things. Value what you have. Humbly, if your child's question it, go back and say, what is your basis for that decision? We'll be going through these things a little more specifically, the different dimensions of raising children in different contexts, and you'll be able to think more, what is the biblical basis? Because you probably never thought about it before. How many toys do I have? What's the biblical basis for my decision? You know, I never thought about it before. So we'll go through more of that in the future and think about that. Okay, so the need of self-control, the sinful tendencies. We're born with a sinful nature. That sinful nature is bent toward evil. Think of a flower. My wife wants me, well, can we move this or something? You know, if we plant a flower here, it's going to be shaded by, we have a water barrel, and then it's going to bend its neck you know, to try to get a little more sun. But isn't that tendency toward leaves and flowers to direct themselves to the sun so much like sin, bent to evil? If you put your son next to a foolish son, a, a foolish child, and they play together, you know what's going to happen? Will that foolish child learn from your control child? Probably not. It's going to be the other way. I don't know, is this the spirit of an entropy or something? I don't know. But, it, you know, it's just going to get worse, you know. And it's just going to, they just tend to do that. If someone's speaking evil, the other child will begin to speak evil. This is especially at younger ages where they just learn to mimic. But as they grow older, they will also pick up values and question values. Are they questioning those values in a good environment? Or are they seeing the advantage of going with their friend, stealing something, and you know, just getting into trouble. We gotta watch out who our friends are of our children and realize that these sin things, they grow as they develop the tendencies. So the garden is not a perfect place even if only our children are there. Even if they're trained, they're still not a perfect place. That's okay. Your children, even as they get older, at times they're gonna be disobedient. You just have to carry consistent discipline all the way through. How do you train? It's not really natural, unless you're brought up in a home where your parents consistently did it. Your parents need training. We need to know how to do this, how to actually train a child to do what you want them to do. They must train. You know, training is passing on the knowledge 
confidence, motivation, and skills to do some tasks. We're not just passing on, you obey, and you're supposed to do it. That is a very inferior way at looking at training. What we want you to understand and what we'll be doing in the next weeks is show you how to train in very specific questions. How do you brush your teeth? Okay, yeah, things like this. It might sound too trivial, but it not only is an example in it, of itself that most parents will face eventually if you use toothpaste, but it will also be an issue of an example of how you might do other things. So we go from where I know what I want, right? I know how, but you want to pass on that knowledge to your child so that they say, I can do it. You really want a child to be able to play by themselves, for example, and so that they're happy, they're content, and that's good. They're not saying, I'm bored all day long. Uh, if our child starts using saying, I'm bored, because they pick it up somewhere else, we just start censoring their language. How? We might just give them a list. If you want to say that you're bored anymore, then you will write a list of 25 times. I will not say that I'm bored. You see, this is the way we can just simply censor their speech as they get older. But the point is, we want them to be able to be happy in that garden, happy with the world they have. If, if we gave unlimited television, telephone, whatever, do you think they'd read the scriptures? That's hard for even us, right? So how are we going to give them time to pray, to learn and cultivate godly disciplines if we let the world just come in? We have to protect them. There's got to be some training there. And that training will be able to help them say, yeah, I like God's word. I, I do read God's word every morning. Sometimes I say at our family devotions time at night, who read the Bible today? Everyone's got to raise their hand or not. Then I say, well, why not? You know, so we have a sense of accountability, but it, it's built in there, even when we have homeschool and other things. To so see, I can do it. I can do it well. We want them to be able to say, yeah, I know how to put, have a neat room, but I can do it well. I know how to clean the bathroom. I know how to cook. I, I can do it. Now, they might make a decision to do different things different in their own future. That's up to them. But at this point, we're just content if we can train them to do it well. Sometimes we do better than other times. <laughs> and uh, some children will clean very nice. Some are just ten. one of their tendencies to be messy. And you give them a cleaning job, oh, it's all clean. And you look at it, you wonder if they ever cleaned it. They have different, different definition. Notice the biblical concept of control, self-control and training. Let's read this together then they can train the younger woman to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men self-control. Now this was starting in verse 4, is talking to older women to train younger women. Now notice what it says, first of all, train the younger woman. Don't just let the younger woman go off on their own. In other words, you invest your life and be able to train them. Notice what training, not just passing on commands, love your husband, but how do you do that in this circumstance? Be practical. Mentor them. Train them. Help shape them. And this is what we're doing for our daughters. We're training them as young women to know how to be wives. 
That's what we're training them to be. Picture it that way, okay? It, it, and it makes a difference how you train them when they're growing up. Some daughters, they grow up and never learn to cook. Well, what kind of wife are they going to be? Oh, it's going to be trouble. They have to be trained how to do these things. Control, self-control. Notice the, the girls need to be trained to be self-controlled. Self-controlled. What does that mean? Well, to govern what we say, think, do, you know, and all those things. In other words, we're not going to gossip. We're not going to be young men also. Be self-controlled. Is that a biblical concept? Yes or no? Yes, it's biblical. Should we do it? Yes. Who are the young men? Our sons. Train them up to be self-controlled, which means dad's got to be self-controlled. Uh, God has his way of building self-control training as the children grow older. As you get children, you'll find, whoops, all my time isn't my time. Whoops, I got to make decisions. Okay, prioritize child's needs over my wants. And it, there's a training pattern in there, and God puts it there. So God has a truth. He put the truth in the Bible. The Bible tells us as parents that we need to train our children. Okay, so this is what we do. This is how we do it. Now the question is, well, how do you do it? Well, we'll get into that. But let me get into another question we talked about over here, about motivation. The point about motivation, you might think, well, when the children get older... If we have a very restricted home, when they get older, they're just going to break all the rules and just go out on their own. I don't think it quite works that way. Let me share a little more and, and also a Bible perspective. First of all, there's that outward motivation. Self-control for our children means basically we are training, restraining, constraining them. That's okay. We're supposed to train them, okay? So they can make the best decisions. Otherwise, their desires will get hold of them, and their desires will make them make the wrong decisions. They'll pay consequences. That's a long way of learning. Jacob, as an example. So who's the outside shapers? Parents, we are. We're the one that's going to shape them. Largely, when they're young, very young, we will shape them. Yes, education shapes them. Uh, other forces around shape them. But we will be the prime shapers. And up to like Six years old, you know, we have most say on what, who they meet, what they're saying, and all these things. So it's a very important time. So this is why children at this age, right, they, what are they doing? They will obey if you enforce it. And so that they are constrained. Like, I can't say certain words. I can't go certain places. Like, I can't go in the garbage can and start pulling out things. I can't do that. Okay, you agree? I don't know, maybe we have different standards. But uh, I don't want them to go to a trash can and take an old can of watermelon skin and just throw the seeds around. Yeah, there's a limit somewhere. Everyone has limits. You just don't realize it. You want to be free. But actually, you have to have a constraint. So we're doing that to help them train them that they don't play with things, make a mess. They're thinking about daddy and mommy, keep a clean house, safety, other things. So we're shapers. That's okay. We're shapers. Now, how does inward motivation come in? They're shaped on the outward that they can't do it. Well, inward motivation comes from helping them to understand their inward desires. You see, self-control occurs when inner motivation replaces outward motivation. There is that control, but we want it to become self-control. 
And it becomes about when what's happening in our world, we become comfortable with it. We adopt the values that are expressed within it. Will a child be comfortable with the rules and things that you are living with? That's a good question. If I ask you when you grow up, were you comfortable with not having many toys? It's okay, huh? So, I mean, there's that point. You didn't have it, so you didn't know, but you learned to be content and just play. I mean, I, when I go to different countries, Africa, India, I see them play with all sorts of things. Um, they had a whole set of musical instruments. This is one village out in Africa, made out of all sorts of things you would find anywhere. One instrument was made out of bottle caps. Other ones were made out of the Coke bottles and, and you know, different things. It was just amazing as they played that. Uh, those all those different instruments. I was just watching more than hearing, but it sounded pretty good too. The inner motivation. Now see, why do children buck against the parental rules? This, I think, is the key question. When they grow older, when they question the parents, one of the questions we want to pass on is, is it biblical? This is why we do it. We begin to tell them why we do things. Not early on, but later we will. We pass it on. Now, do we have a biblical basis for limited television, uh, way they cut their hair, the, do they tattoo their skin, do they wear earrings, nose, eyelids, you know, where does it stop? You see, it never will stop. Their questions, even if you allow them to go beyond what you experience, the questions will go on. There's no limit to them continuing to test those rules. Because most of all, you're trying to set some values, and they're testing those values and trying to understand what they are. When we're talking about inner motivation, we're trying to say that they want to live that way. And my, my suggestion is this, that the biggest reason children protest their parents largely is because they have prideful, they're arrogant, they are being excessive in a number of ways. And they're discontent. So they don't see any real value in that garden because maybe their parents are arguing all the time. They don't want to be in the garden, anywhere but the garden. That's what I grew up. I'll go to any university but at home in Massachusetts, even though we got some of the best ones. Away. No, no, no. But if we could see that contentment, a love, we want to be home. And we'll be able to think and dialogue. Older daughter, sit down there. We'll sit here. We need a powwow, a peace time, you know, where we just talk and let's, let's see what's at the root of some of this fighting spirit between parents and children. But I will actually initiate that. Let's sit down. Okay, I'll listen to you. Be quiet. You know, okay, let's, you know, okay, you speak. You'll be quiet. You know, let's listen. Let's dialogue. So we enter some of these times. This is for older children. But still, I'm saying it's not like all life is perfect, nor are we perfect. But the point is, if we can produce that loving home where they want to be and be able to express those biblical values, they're able to adopt those values, be comfortable with them. That's the life. So cultivating self-control. Notice we go from infant, toddler, young to teen. And of course, they grow on even into adults. Not enough room for all these circles. But our training probably stops around the teens, right? Up to 18, 19. And... But you know, for a child, though, where do you start training? 
Toys, where are you going to begin? Oh, how they eat, or what they eat, when are you going to begin? Or what they're going to watch? Or where they want to go, where are you going to begin? Can I suggest that the younger you begin, the better? Because that becomes what they're familiar with. If you allow something else to happen earlier, and then you try to change, you're, you're first of all making them wonder why are you changing values? Why are you changing things? You know, and, and it becomes much more upsetting to them. So for an infant, a child, it's very easy to take that child wherever you go. A toddler, we talked about before. What if the child's being naughty? They, they don't want to leave that room. Well, you can just go over there, smile, pick up the child, there we go, and take them. Yeah, you are stronger. You can still do that at the toddler stage, right? Even the young stage, you can do it. Six, eight, yeah, you can still do it. But, you know, my son's, you know, starting to edge toward getting taller than me. And so, you know, we've we got some contests here. I can't do that anymore. I would break down halfway uh, if I try to start carrying him. So how, how do we do that? We train them early. Now, let me just suggest something. When children are really young, in a, in a, if you use a crib or a playpen, this a protective places, a garden, where you can begin to control their environment, their ways, so that they rightly relate to you, rightly relate to other things. Now, I know there's different perspectives, how much you want to carry your baby, um, how much you want them to learn how to play alone, those things you can think about and pray about on your own. Uh, I, I think in our hearts, all of us really want to love our children and want the best for them. So we're not trying to be judgmental, but just trying to help you understand what you do with a child in one stage will affect them in the next. And, but we've found that the, like a toddler uh, in a playpen is, is, is a great thing. Uh, one, it allows the parent to be able to work without concern whether the child is getting hurt. You see, when the child is loose to go anywhere after they learn to walk, they can actually hurt themselves easily. The best way to train them is when you are watching them. That's the best way. We'll, we'll show you how to do that later. But you know, again, a, this is a safe place to put them and that they can be content. Now, I know the big fight is what? How do you get a child to just play, read a book in the, in the, in the playpen? My child just screams. And then they look, how do you do it? Can we ask you? Simple? Start yelling. Yeah, but I mean, but what do you do? Can you just stand up so they can hear you? No, number five. We didn't know any of this stuff before number five. After we learned how to sort of arrange their game schedule, I started putting Benjamin, who's on number six, in the playpen, in his car seat, when he was probably maybe two months old. He used to be in there. So once he was moving around a little bit, I just put him in the playpen. But the car seat's in the, in the house. Yeah, the small car seat, you know, maybe big small car seat, it's just a little bouncer seat or something. Uh, but in the playpen, this used to be in there. He doesn't know any different. So when he's too big for the seat or he is moving around more, I would take him out of that, just put him in the playpen. He still was happy there because that's what's used to it already. So if you put him in there when they're young, it's a nice safe place for them to be. Uh, they're used to it, they don't really move differently. 
Um, I think we kept Rebecca. She was in there up until she was about three. She played happily and played them. Uh, I didn't put her in there all day. She had regular times in there. She'd go in there. We do meals, some kind of meal, you know. When she's older, she's going to get treated with us. She'd eat, and then she'd go to the potty, and then she'd play playtime time for about an hour. And then that would be some other activity, whether it be going to bed, sleeping, or playing in the, the room with the older siblings, something. Okay, so it was a, we had a routine. But to put them in that playtime, kids would stay, and you can go do other things that you were responsible to do, like laundry or whatever. But just having it part of a routine. So to me. Thanks. If you start early, that's all they're familiar with. And they get used to it because you've already been doing it. That's their world. And that's why it's so easy when you're starting early. And when you take them out of that chair in that playpen, for example, all of a sudden it seems like, wow, the world has doubled in size. And they're very happy. Rather than feeling constrained, they're feeling, wow, much more. Mom's good to me. You see the opposite, though. I mean, it really... When you shape their environment, that's how they're learning, not through words so much. Uh, this is kind of like a routine that we talk much more about in our first book for infants, uh, where it just basically follows a feeding time. You know, there isn't much awake time when the child's an infant, but as the child grows a little older, there's that awake time that comes in between, the sleeping time, the feeding time, awake time. Uh, we don't have time to discuss this as more for very young children, infants. Uh, early toddlers. But again, it's, it's a pattern. It's a structure of life that they get used to, which parallels the structure in our own lives, uh, which we want them to get used to. You can talk to uh, my wife if you want to know more about that. Uh, or online, you can, the materials are there. So at certain times, like in the playpen, they'll be alone. Uh, when they're sleeping, uh, we, we suggest they don't sleep with their parents. Otherwise, around five, six, seven, eight years old, you'll be coming up to us. How do we get our child to not sleep with us anymore? We've had been asked that. Even though they weren't to parenting class. The decision's yours, and you can show love to them by being in the same bed. But, you know, there's dangers, and especially in terms of that habit, trying to change a habit. Uh, I, I don't think it helps a marriage at all. I, I think a husband and wife should be able to discuss things, pray with things. Be with each other at night, rather than thinking about, oh, the child might wake up, don't talk to me, you know, and things of that nature. Uh, move over. I can't move over, you know, the baby's there. It, it, of course, these are your decisions, but think about the implications down the road when you change the habit. Uh, and perhaps the bigger, you think you're showing love, but later on, your children will think you are not loving anymore. Because love to them is that you would share a bed with them. And now you're not going to do it. So you see what she's saying? You're re redefining things. But uh, there's two choices. The child irritated, cry dictated, confused or frustrated. The parent, that is. Or the parent initiated. We bring out our instructions. We value what we say. It becomes routine dictated. This is what we do every day. This is the rules. We go by that. And the children become orderly and contented. They know what to expect. I know we have not talked about how you actually get your child to do that. But we are trying to get in, in our minds the vision of what we need to do. So a trained child, this is what we want. He might lie awake, but he's content not to get up. That's a dream, isn't it? Yeah, we're getting there. Plays contentedly, doesn't persist demand to get out. Happy where mom placed him. You play here. 
Okay. Stays in the realms of floor directed. You play in this room today. You know, you've got three books you can play with and look at. That's where they go. That's what they do. Stays in the yard, out of the dangerous street. They obey. Depends which age you're at. You see these different things. And I'm just trying to give some samples. Stays in the part of the world. We give them permission to explore. For a teenager, it all, it all builds up, you see. Because they're learning to be content where they're supposed to be. And the, their parent directed. And that is what the scriptures is. When you honor your parents, your children will be blessed. So obedience, require your children to obey. You're the parents. Chastise, associate negative consequences with what you do not want. You're proactive. You instruct them what you do want. You do not give them a choice, especially when they're younger, especially on important matters. You don't give them a choice. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he's old, he will not depart from it. Train him up in the way. There's that training again. And when he's old, he won't depart from it. Uh, my dad is not a believer, but he was trained by Christian parents. You can just see it, the mold there, you know, shaped by it. Even though he's 89, still goes by, you know, some of those rules. Uh, he was a, a little bit wild, but, you know, he got on. Those rules finally, you know, constrained him, get him down to where he needed to be. But if we can get that confidence, if we train them, God will take care of them. That's our confidence. So as we close, just think about the things we're learning tonight. Developing self-control in our children is an essential part of caring for them. We first start by controlling them. That becomes self-control in the end. Training is necessary to develop that self-control. We're helping them with those skills. Self-control is necessary because of sinful nature and a simple lack of skill and knowledge. Self-control is learned quickly when parents consistently, consistently combine what? Positive encouragement with negative consequences. That means you encourage them when they're doing well, and they don't like it when they don't. Lastly, the earlier we start training our children, the better it will be for all concerned. We have an assignment, reading chapter 4, odd questions, follow up the project, and develop plans for your child's tr trouble spots. Earlier on, we asked you, where is your child, if you have a child, where is that child facing problems? Where are you frustrated? How come, what is your goal? What do you want to happen? What is happening? And try to get down to the biblical reason why you want this to happen rather than that to happen, okay? Try to work through these. I, I know we don't have a full plan here, but we're trying to get you thinking on what you want and how to do it. And we begin to invest ourselves into our lives of our children. Let's close in a word of prayer. Lord, we want to thank you so much for your mighty love. You really care for us. And I know sometimes, especially as we're growing up, or maybe even now, Lord, we are actually protesting your ways in one or more areas of our lives. Would you please forgive us, Lord? We question you. We shouldn't. You really want the best for us. And we pray, God, as we learn from you, that we'll be able to be those good parents, to know how to train our children up in the way that they can be godly children, that they can not only be controlled in doing what's good, but later be self-controlled, self-motivated to do what is right, to care for their lives in a certain way. We thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to be a parent. We thank you, Lord, for trusting us to train our children. Help us, Lord. 
We have so far to go, so much to learn. Give us wisdom, understanding, but especially that love and compassion that our children might know that we really do love them. Bless us this night and help us this week. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Oods, the fourth session of the Principles and Practices of Biblical Parenting, Developing Self-Control in Our Children by Paul Bucknell. This has been produced by Biblical Foundations for Freedom, www.foundationsforfreedom.net, releasing God's truth to a new generation.